Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to 2 Kings chapter 1. As you recall, the last time we were together, we didn't finish the chapter. Uh, we had seen how God had protected Elijah from 150 armed soldiers. And the way that he protected Elijah from the first 100 was this calling down fire from heaven. And if we focus on the fire, we are going to miss the protection of God. And we look at the miraculous and we go, oh my, the fire from heaven. And maybe even some of you were thinking there's such a difficulty in your life. You were thinking like James and John did later on. You know, I might like to use that just one time, Lord. But that's not God's heart. He didn't come to kill but to restore. It was a unique thing with Elijah. It was a unique work of God through him. But we focus on the fire and we miss the faithfulness. And we need to make sure we see both of them. God was faithful to protect Elijah. There was a plan and a purpose being worked out in his life. Just like your life and mine, we will be protected for the duration of the purposes of God in our lives. And then when our purpose for God is done, he's going to take us home. Not a second earlier and not a second later. We have that divine providential protection of God. It's not designed to make us test the Lord and say, well, you know, pastor told me I have this divine protection, so I think I'll tempt God on that. No, the Bible forbids that. But it does build in us the confidence to be faithful to what's before us. And what's true for Elijah is true for us. God will protect us. And yet, like Elijah, we need to walk in boldness coming to God and asking him, And acknowledging him and his mighty power. No matter what might threaten us, the protective hand of God will look after us and take care of us because God loves you. I think of Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12. He says, this is why I'm suffering here in prison. But I'm not ashamed of it, he says. For I know the one in whom I trust. And I am sure that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until the day of his return. It has had a confidence even sitting in prison. So notice with me in verse 16 of chapter 1 to pick up where we left off. Then he said to him, Thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Azahiah Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken, because he had no son. Jehoram became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Elijah is escorted into the bedridden king, and remember he gives the same message that he was given earlier. And we spent considerable time being reminded that the message doesn't change. The methodologies, they have to change because the times are changing. But the method themselves, or the message itself, never changes. We are forbidden to tamper with the gospel. 
We are not to change the word of God. We're not to adapt it and adjust it and, and in some cases, as sometimes it's described, to water it down. We're not to be ashamed of it. Paul had to declare even in his day, in the first century, he had, what did he say in Romans chapter one? I am not ashamed of the gospel. So already there was a sense of being ashamed of the power of God. What is foolishness to man, and, and no need to, to raise your hand here, but I am certain that you have been called names or made fun of or thought to be foolish because you believed in the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They just think you're dumb. They, what are you doing? You can't believe the Bible. We've moved on from there. We're much smarter. We know that evolution is true and, cre- and all the nonsense and what that does is it causes, it kind of, the enemy uses it and the fears of our flesh, we begin to tamper down. And we begin to, no, I know it's not, yeah, I'm not sure. And you know, I'm not, you know, that Bible, it's old-fashioned religion. And before you know it, you're not, you're ashamed of the gospel. But Paul said this, and it's still true today. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, for the Jew first and also for the, it is the power. What the world calls foolishness God calls powerful. And what the, what the world calls powerful, money, riches, fame, God says, it's foolishness. It's not going to get you where you want to go. It's going to rip you off. It's going to take you away from what's real and what's true and what's noble and what's pure. And I, I love that about Elijah. If you weren't here for our last study, pick up the, the CD or listen on the MP3 on the app and, and we, we spent some time really focusing on the necessity of not changing the message. And that's something you can pray for me, and that's something you can pray for anyone that stands in this pulpit, that no matter what pressure comes our way, no matter what craziness comes our way, no matter what fears, anxiety, whatever we might have as human beings, that your pastors, your leaders, will just simply stay true to the word of God. Because if your pastors and leaders, they don't stay true to the word of God, you will follow them, some of you. That's the way it works. And we want to be good examples to you. But what that means is if you come to us and ask us a question, we're going to answer to you from the word of God, which may or may not make you happy. Depends on where you're at and what kind of answer you really want. Like, for example, if you're here today and you came from another church because you were mad at the counsel they gave you and you're just hoping that you hit somebody here that will give you counsel that you like and you want to hear, I hope that doesn't happen. I hope that the people that talk to you here, whether they're pastors, leaders, or the person you're sitting next to, will give you the truth of the word of God. And that you won't find what you're looking for. So I just want somebody to agree with me. Well, I agree with you. You need to get right with the Lord. How's that? I agree that you need to get back on track with the things of God. I agree that if you came from another church and you left things unresolved and you need to get, I agree with you, you need to go back and resolve things and make sure that you have a relationship with the body of Christ. Now, I am talking about a church that's speaking the true word of God and and churches that we would be in fellowship with, but it's no good to run. As you learned this, you're not going to outrun God. The Bible says, I was doing my devos in Jonah recently, and and the Bible says that while Jonah's doing all this stuff, it says that God was preparing a fish for Jonah. Now, did Jonah know that? Yes or no? He had no idea. And so as you're running away from God and you're running to and fro, I wonder what God is preparing for you to get you back on track. But whatever it is, you need to get back on track. I don't know if you 
God's going to prepare another great fish to swallow you up. Like you're out there running away and you're out fishing on the reservoir and, and then a big fish swallows you. And you go, where's that big fish? I've never seen that big fish. The reservoir people check the water all the time. I know because God prepared it just for you. And we'll wait three days till you get vomited up. You'll be out soon enough. I don't know what he's preparing for you, but listen, you can't run away from God. God's working behind the scenes. Why? Why did he do it with Jonah? Because he loves Jonah. He didn't want Jonah to run away. He had lessons to learn. You know, Jonah was so upset about what was going on with the Ninevites, he forgot about himself and what God wanted to do in his life. So the message never changes. The methods do change. We, if you go to our bookstore and you ask for last week's study, they're not going to give you an eight-track tape. It's not going to happen. We don't use eight-track tapes anymore. And for those of you that don't know what an eight-track tape is, Google it. It's a trip. I remember my parents had an eight-track player in their car, and it was loud. Cha-chunk, cha-chunk, cha-chunk. It doesn't do that anymore. Now we get upset if uh, our MP3 skips a little bit or whatever, you know. And, and so you're not going to find eight-track tapes or even cassette tapes and in one, soon enough, probably not even CDs anymore. We, we need to adapt. Even some of you, the Lord is speaking to you right now, there's an ad- adaptation that's needed. You know, in the early days of our church when we met in the school uh, and we began to put the lyrics up on the screen, it wasn't like this. You know what it was? It was one of those overhead projectors with the arm and the little thing here. And, and then one of the sisters, I don't see her tonight, uh, but that, she's still with us, Shelly. She was, she was the word person that did those. I used to print these cellophane things out in my basement with the words of the screen. And, you know, there'd be times she'd put it upside down and backwards. And she didn't know because she, her back was to it. And, and it was just a white screen with black, and white wor- with black words on a white background. That's all it was. That, we don't do that anymore. It's, you know, we have a computer that takes care and we have servants that do it differently now. Uh, I mean, I guess we could do it that way, but man, it would trip people out. They would walk in and go, what kind of, what, 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 what are they doing here? What is that? And now we have, you know, projectors and stuff. We don't need any of it. None of this stuff's needed. You don't even need chairs. You know, we could, if we didn't have chairs, we'd all gather on the floor. We don't even need a floor. We could gather under a tree. We, we don't need all of these things, but because they're tools... We're going to use them for the glory of God. But we don't need them if the, if the electricity goes out or the bulb goes out. You know, you're going to be tested. Oh, I don't know. What am I going to do? You're going to be just fine. Because we have the Lord and his presence. And, you know, even if I didn't have my iPad, if it messed up, I don't have my notes, I'm going to open up the Bible, begin to read it to you, let the Holy Spirit minister to us. I'm not going to freak out. The Lord's here. He's among us. I hope you felt his presence in the midst of worship. I mean, not just, not just believe his presence, not just believe what the Bible says, where the Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people, but literally to experience his presence in a fresh way that can only happen when you begin to praise him. The praises of his people invite a special relationship and intimacy with the Father that is not available any other way. God literally inhabits those praises where I know we believe it mentally and we believe it biblically, but have you felt the presence of God and experienced the presence of God? Have you felt the touch of God to affirm you, to remind you of his love for you, to remind you that he's not going to leave you or forsake you, to, to just, you know, as we were singing, you know, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Do you mean that? 
Like, it's not like the Holy Spirit wasn't here and we, now because we asked for him to be here, he's going to be. No, we're just ascending. We're, we're humbling ourselves and saying, you're welcome here. Do you know what that means? That means he's welcome to comfort you, to encourage you, to exhort you, to convict you. Did you mean that when you were singing? Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Convict me. But that's part of the song. And the Holy Spirit just comes and you're able to experience him. We don't live in the Old Testament times where the Spirit of God comes and goes. Now we live in a time where the Spirit of God dwells permanently and sealed us, comes upon us in power, but we get so caught up in life and so caught up in the world and all our problems that we don't even acknowledge Him. We just stifle Him, or what the Bible says, we grieve the Holy Spirit. We, we bring grief to God through our actions and our attitudes and our hearts and when as soon as you start singing, even if you're not singing and the person next to you is singing and the Holy Spirit, the atmosphere, you're welcome here. Yes, yeah, you're welcome here. You're welcome in the car. You're welcome in my house. You're welcome in my cubicle. So Elijah here, the message doesn't change. You know, because uh, Ahaziah had no son, his brother Jeroam uh, is the next king, it says, uh, in, in his place, Jehoram. And... You know, it's just a bad time in the history of Israel. It's a difficult time. One commentator shares good insight of many of the issues that were happening then but now, and I wanted to share it with you, uh, it, and I quote, One reason so many, so many in contemporary society are miserable is that they've repeated Ahaziah's worst mistake, seeking help in the wrong place. They're searching for strength, fulfillment, and comfort in the wrong places. Some look for help in chemical reinforcement, mistakenly assuming that a prescription, a pill, a bottle, or an injection can provide life's missing ingredient. The worldwide epidemic of heroin and cocaine addiction has shocked us. Alcoholism continues to take its toll in traffic deaths and broken homes. And these are painful reminders that the remedy for personal emptiness is not a chemical substance. A popular preacher in America warns his congregation from time to time, and I subquote, some of you think you can drown your troubles in drink, but I want to remind you that troubles can swim. <laughs> I'm going to be using that one. Those who seek help in drugs are like Ahaziah, looking in the wrong place. And Paul, he would point to the only source that can fill man's emptiness. He said that God is the God of all comfort. Genuine comfort comes only through the faith in God. It cannot be found anywhere else. Ahaziah failed to understand this basic truth, end quote. So that's pretty powerful insight. Both from the time of Ahaziah and him seeking help in the wrong places, ending in his, his death, and so many today. Pick up in chapter 2 now, verse 1. It came to pass that when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. And Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, yes, I know. Keep silent. And Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. And he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he answered, yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah, verse 6, said to him, 
stay here, for the Lord has sent me on to the, to the Jordan. And he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. So even the way Elijah is going to enter into the presence of God is going to be miraculous and interesting because he's an interesting man. This is the last day on earth for Elijah that we're reading in chapter two. And what does he do on the last day of his life on earth? He invests it and spends it strengthening the faith and commitment of his disciple, Elisha, uh, of the one that will take over. He was spending time in pouring into him. And there together, four different times, Elijah tests Elisha, asking him to stay back while he moved on. And Elisha, he passes these tests with flying colors. I'm not leaving your side. And personally, on a personal note, Elisha is dealing with the reality that he knows Elijah's going to leave. He knows he's going to die, that his time is short. Whether he realizes or not specifically that this is the day, he knows it's very, very close. As the prophets keep coming, don't you know that it's going to happen today? And you know how things are. When you know something is imminent, in your mind you begin to think, oh, I hope it's not today. I hope it's tomorrow. I hope just delay it. But he's dealing with the reality that as the prophets keep telling him, today you're going to lose your friend. And each of the four stops, we notice Elijah tells Elisha, stay here, I have to go and I'll be back. But Elisha says no. And each of the four stops actually speak of something in their lives. Uh, It was John Corson that brought this out, so I want to jot it down for you. So you can circle each of the cities, and each of the cities speak of something that I think is important for us to recognize. So in verse 1, Gilgal is the place of preparation. After 40 years of wandering uh, wandering in the wilderness, the Israelites stopped at Gilgal to prepare for battle. Then we move on to the area of Bethel in verse 3, and Bethel is the place of realization. This is the place where the Lord revealed to you, is revealed to you like Jacob would at the place where, this is the place where he revealed himself to Jacob, and so Bethel becomes this place where God is revealed or realized. Jericho, well Jericho is the place of what? Confrontation. Why? Because it was at Jericho where war and utter dependence upon God to bring victory took place. And then finally, Jordan is the place of expectation because it was there that the priests put their feet into the water and they stepped out in faith. And it wasn't until their feet got wet that God would stop the water to cross over. Beautiful. Gilgal preparation, Bethel realization, Jericho confrontation, Jordan expectation. And this was what was building in the life of Elisha. Elisha now is the type of ministry brother that you want to have in your life. Elisha is the type of ministry brother or sister that you want to be in your life. This man of dedication. Often in in our language today, we refer to this biblically as like-mindedness. You want to be serving with like-minded brothers and sisters. A love for God that it leads to a love of knitting you together. To go to war together. To be prepared together. To realize the presence of God together. To expect great things from God together. Here at Calvary, we, we have a growing group of men and women 
that God has allowed us to serve alongside of in unity, that literally love me, my wife, my children, and those that are serving. There's a mutual love. Well, don't misunderstand like-mindedness and love. It's not like, like we never make mistakes or we never have to forgive one another and work through things together. Of course we do. But we want to be like-minded. God sent me to Aurora, Colorado for this very purpose. I'm living out the calling of God in my life. He sent me not to plant a church, but to be a part of a church that he's planting. And trusting me with the leadership of just 30 people. Actually, the, the reality of, of the entrustment of God in my life actually started with just five people. Me, my wife, and three children. That was my responsibility. To be a, a loving husband, leading my wife, loving her as Christ loved the church. And to be a father, raising my children in the ways of the Lord. Training them up in the way that they should go. And trusting that when they're old, like every one of our children, and they come to that crisis of faith, and that significant temptation that their faith will become their own and not just their parents. And then over the years, five became 30. And then 30 became 15. <laughs> I grew that group really big. That was the day, that was the first time that I found out that when the Broncos play, people don't come to church, man. That's it. And I had to learn a lot about Colorado. It's not California. And I have learned a lot. I've learned a lot from you. You guys have taught me a lot about how to pastor and how to serve. You've taught me how to recover from mistakes. You've, you've taught me forgiveness. Unfortunately, some people have taught me what bitterness looks like and what betrayal feels like. That's all part of the package. My life belongs to the Lord. Why would I get anything less than Jesus? And why would you get anything less than Jesus? And together, fulfilling my role to serve this community, to pastor and oversee this church, it's a blessing. And I love you guys that serve. I love you guys that are just new to the church. I love everyone on the radio. Now, that love is going to be different depending on the knowledge that we have together. But that love motivates me to dedicate myself to prayer, study of the word, and, and practical discipleship. To the point of exhaustion sometimes. Praise God that you can get tired for the Lord. That we can... I mean, I used to... I used to party 24, 48 hours, sometimes 72 hours in a time, man. And I'd catch a little catnap here and there and, and we'd run out of booze and we'd go get some more. And I used to, man, I used to, I used to just give everything to the devil. And I want to devote the rest of my life to giving everything to the Lord. Because none of those nights brought any fruit or good to the things of God. Like-mindedness is so important. It's part of our servants class. If you want to serve here, you need to listen. It's required. It's part of the application. You have to listen to our servants class. Because in those six studies, it gives a little bit of insight on the heart and the, the, the direction of ministry, what it means to serve here. And one of the studies focuses on that time when Moses went up to the mountain and when his arms were up, there was victory. Moses was up on the mountain. Joshua was down in the valley. And what? Aaron and Hur came alongside to, oh, to hold the arms up of, of Moses. And as his arms were held up, there was victory. And as his arms were, came in, there was defeat. Now there's the focus on Moses and Aaron and Hur, and those are, good, those are good insights. But can you imagine if Joshua ever picked up on this and would just glance up every once in a while to see where his arms were? 
And maybe that one time he went up, he looked up and he saw his arms are falling, guys. And it's so loud and everybody can't hear him. So he's just, and he's just going crazy. Lift his arms up. And what I've, what I've learned even in my own life serving my pastor is my pastor doesn't need me to hang on his arms. He needs me to hold his arms up. That's the commitment. That's like-mindedness. Like-mindedness doesn't mean we see everything the same way all the time. It just means that generally we have mutual love for one another. We're going to go into battle. That's what happens in the military, isn't it? Complete strangers, they fight back to back. Why? Because they're like-minded and they're committed and they go through the warfare together and spiritual warfare is very similar. We have to love God and we have to love this church and we have to love the pastors and the people of this church and who God, the, you know, there's a lot of churches in town. Have you guys noted that? And, and every church has a purpose and so do we. Uh, there's a variety of personalities and a variety of people in our city. So what does God do? There's a variety of churches. That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And so God has put our church, this little fellowship family, in this city for a purpose. We want to fulfill it. We're not in competition with any church. We don't look down on any church. We just want to stay in our lane and serve the way the Lord wants us to serve. And, and that means there's going to be a, a uniqueness about our fellowship. It's going to be different. It's going to be what God wants. And, and so you, you, you and I, we have to love the people. There's some really brokenhearted people that come to this church. There's some really bad, crazy testimonies in people's lives. There's some people you're sitting next to that really were that close to losing it all and ruining everything. There may be on occasion somebody next to you that reeks of alcohol. And instead of getting all legalistically judgmental on them, I hope your heart is, how's this guy going to get home tonight? And I hope he's sober. And how can I serve him? You know, now with marijuana legal, you every once in a while, we, we went through that in the last study, so I'm not going to go through it in depth because I really messed up last time, but you might smell someone that smells like pot. And then immediately, oh, what a pothead. What, what if it's not them at all? What if they live in a house where their parents smoke it? Like what? Who are we? Who are we to pass judgment on people that are struggling and wrestling with sin when that's where we were not too long ago and that's where we are? You know, that's a, I, I imagine this. Let me paint a picture for you. You're screaming and yelling in the car, arguing, mad. You might have flipped somebody off because they cut you off and, and then you come in, oh, I love the Lord. And then there's a guy that smells like Paul. You can't believe it. And, and what did you just do? Like, you should just be broken before the Lord and say, please forgive me. Cut that finger off, Lord. I never want to use it again. Forgive us, right? Isn't it true that we can be some of the most hyper-judgmental, hypocritical people on the planet when we should be the ones that appreciate the grace of God more than anybody? Look what we got saved from. You wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the Lord, man. I wouldn't be here. We forgot the pit so quickly. We forgot the miry clay so quickly. I remember one of the pastors, maybe it was D.L. Moody, he said that God saves to the gutter most. Well, who else was in the gutter? I was there a few times. I was in the gutter because things were so bad, my friends kicked me out of the car. They didn't want me there and left me in the gutter. And I would wake up going, dude, I must have really ticked someone off last night. That's how bad it was. And now God would give me the privilege of going to the gutter and serving someone. I was there. That was me apart from the Lord. And so in our hearts and our minds, we, we want to be like-minded. And, and it's not like-minded with us. 
That's the secondary. The first part of like-mindedness is you love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Then you love your neighbor as yourself. It starts first upward, then outward. And, and if this is an area of a struggle for you, if, if perhaps the Holy Spirit's touched on something in your life, the first thing to do is go to the Lord. And then the next thing to do is to relate to those that are around you and walk humbly with our God. There came a point in Paul's life, a very discouraging time in his ministry, where he wrote this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. He says, But I trust in the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly, that I may also be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own and not the things which are of Christ Jesus. We learn some important principles there. First of all, the heart of Christ, of Christ Jesus is the heart of sincerely caring. And the heart of Christ Jesus was sincerely caring that Paul had that same heart. He sincerely cared. And then God brought with him, in this case, Timothy. Timothy was there who shared that heart to sincerely care, to be a servant. And the word like-mindedness comes from two Greek words, equal and soul. It's really a deep connection. The idea here is unity and harmony and agreement together. It means to be activated by the same motives, to share the same character. And what a blessing it is for Paul to be able to say that he had Timothy that was like-minded. And he was willing to be alone in order to bless the congregation and send, it seems like, the last person in his life at this time that was like-minded so that he might go care sincerely for the flock. What a blessing for Elijah to have Elisha. And what a blessing for me to be able to serve with so many people that are like-minded, that love the Lord, and want to reach the city, and, and are just willing to serve God, to surrender their lives to him. Well, in verse 9 it says, And so it was, when they had crossed over, that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask! What may I do for you before I'm taken away? Well, let's go back because I need to go to verse 7. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance while two of them stood by the Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, struck the water, and it was divided this way and that so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you before I'm taken away from you? And Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And so he said, you have asked a hard thing, nevertheless. If you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. And then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire, separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. It's just a gloriously miraculous thing. I love what Elisha asked in verse 9. You know, go ahead and ask. And what does he say? Well, I want a double portion. I know what you've done, Elijah, and I want to do double. I want, to, I want more. And Elisha's ministry wasn't always easy. It didn't always make people happy. And so what Elisha was asking was not just to be involved in the miraculous, but also a double portion of the pain and the difficulty. And they get to a comfortable spot on the other side of the Jordan and Elijah just says, what do you want? What can I do for you? And he asked a double portion. Above everything else, Elisha wanted spiritual power. If, if God asked you the same question today, what would you ask for? 
what is it that would come out of your mouth of somebody in your life? I mean, Elisha's hunger was spiritual power for the sake of someone else. We don't know that yet, but in the entirety of his life, we see he did double the amount of miracles that Elijah did. He was used mightily in a double, in a double way. What would you ask for? Is your life so, so focused right now that, that it's money? I need more money. Is your life so centered? I, I, I want to fulfill this ministry desire of mine. Is your life so focused that, that right now the request would be, well, listen, God, he wants to give you spiritual power if you ask him. We learn that in the book of Acts when Jesus teaches us about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's power available to you. Ask for it. God, say, say God, baptize me in your spirit. The answer to the issues in my life is not more of something. It's more of you. He, he looks at Elijah and says, you know what you did? I want to do double. I want to carry on the ministry in your life. Remember what Jesus told the disciples? He said, you guys, you're going to do more than me. Can you imagine hearing that from him? You're going to do more than me. And what did they do? In the context of people getting saved from their ministry, they did a lot more than the human ministry of Jesus. They were involved in so much. And I I had to really step back in my, as I was jotting this down and just thinking it through, like, man, Lord, I want more spiritual power. That's what I need. Because when I physically can't do it, when I'm physically weak, when I, I just have no ability to reason or take care of, or man, God is teaching me. He's teaching you. In your weakness, what? His strength is made perfect. Ask for double. Ask for double. Elijah recognizes in verse 10 that it's a hard thing, but he wasn't able to do it, but God was, and he was taken up in a whirlwind. And again, Elisha's just tripping out. I would trip out, I think. Just like, whoa, an amazing thing of what God is doing. And he cries out, but he received the mantle, the place of power, the place of authority. You know, we receive our mantle today not from men, but from God. It's just representative. But we use the word ordination today. The idea of ordination is God's approval on a man for the work of the ministry. And whenever you have someone on stage here that we pray over and we lay hands on, it's not the church that ordains, it's God that ordains. And all we are affirming is, man, God's anointing is on that brother. God has used him. And when we bring somebody before the congregation, which isn't many times, but when we bring somebody before the congregation, those of you that know them should automatically agree. So yeah, that brother served me. He was at the hospital. Yeah, he called me back. He re- yeah, he's been involved in my, yeah, yeah, amen. I see God's anointing in his life too. It, it shouldn't be the other way around where the whole church goes, what is he doing up there? Why is he up there? Who, what kind of church is this? No way. What we see is what you see. Because why? A person with the anointing of God is going to obey what God said. He's going to be among the flock, serving the flock, ministering the gospel. And so when we think of ordination, or, or in this case, the mantle of God, that anointing, that approval, it comes from God and not from man. We don't serve men. We serve God. Now, in serving God, we serve men, but it's that order. We don't serve men, and then somehow one day we'll get to God. No, we serve God, and because our hearts are knit together and like-minded with God, we serve man. It's never the other way around. 
And so here we are. We don't have enough time to finish, but we'll finish next time in this chapter. Father, as we turn our hearts and attention towards you today, we're just so grateful. What, what a dynamic, um, amazing uh, story, true, of Elijah. He humbles me, God, and encourages me. He reminds me that no matter who was after him, no matter what kings he stood before, no matter what hardships he faced, you established him. And he feared you and not man, even though he had that moment where Jezebel scared him. He recovered, poured into Elisha, gave him, Lord, you gave him that double portion. But what responsibility? We ask for double, comes with double, respons double responsibility. And, you know, we just got to be ready for what we're asking just knowing that you're going to empower us and you're going to be with us. Some are scared to even ask for a double portion tonight. They're scared. Lord, would you minister to that fear? Would you minister to that person that's afraid right now? And, and just as you're praying right now, you know, as a church, if, if, if God is ministering, and, you know, like really stirring up your heart about this area of double portion and, and you realize it's like, God, I need more spiritual power. Would you, would you just pray that out loud? Just, just go ahead and pray it out loud. Just ask God, God, I want a double portion. Go ahead, let us hear it. Everybody can pray at the same time. It's okay, God can sort it out. Is there anybody that just needs to do that? Do it right now. Lord, I, I pray for a double portion. I pray, God. I, I affirm these desires. Go ahead and cry out to the Lord right now. Just cry out. Just ask him to endue you with power. And the way that you do that now is you say, God, would you baptize me with your Holy Spirit? Just ask for that baptism, that overflowing, the upon experience of the Spirit. Some of you, maybe you just need to ask for the infilling. Lord, will you fill me with you? Go ahead and say it out loud. Don't be ashamed. Just affirm it in the body today. Just ask, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Baptize me. I want a double portion. Maybe you want a triple portion. Like you, you, you've come here tonight with a need and, and God is just ministering to you. Like, be like Elijah. Hey, what can I do for you? And you say, I need a double portion, Lord. I can't do this without you. I, I need more of you, not less, God. Maybe like the disciples, you just need to pray, increase my faith. Go ahead. Say whatever you need to say before the Lord. And sometimes it's just good to confess it with your mouth. It's okay to pray inside like Nehemiah did, but sometimes you just need to confess it with your mouth. And just confess maybe your sins before God. You don't have to give all the details, but just confess your sin. Maybe it was, I've used that little illustration about flipping people off and that was you. So just confess it before the Lord. You're not a bad Christian. You just had a bad moment. That's it. You got to pray for that anger issue. You don't own the road. And flipping someone off doesn't help share the gospel. And so maybe you just need to, maybe you flip somebody off today in your heart. You kept your hands in your pocket, but you flipped them off in your heart. Okay, just ask the Lord to forgive you. You said something bad about someone. Just, Lord, forgive my tongue. You, you judge somebody hypocritically. Lord, forgive me. Who am I? Who am I? And just allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. Just, Lord, sing out. And now, now I invite you, just keep praying. It's kind of, I'm, I'm just kind of 
myself just praying through some things in my own heart too. And, and as we're singing this song, go ahead now and invite the Holy Spirit. Ask God, God tell God, I want to experience your presence. I'm going to obey you uh, by praising you and being in the room but I want to experience, I want to feel what the pastor said. I want, God, would you affirm? Would you put, would you affirm something? Would you uh, give me an emotion? Would you give me a reminder of your presence? Will you just remind me that I'm not alone? Ask, for what, ask of God what you want. Ask of God how you want to see his presence manifested. But the Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. So don't just believe in your head. Now come to him and invite him, invite him invite him into your life in a new fresh way and so as you feel it it's not just singing a familiar song it's like lord i'm i'm giving you worship because you're worthy i'm i'm singing to you because i love you and and you deserve you're the audience you're the audience we pray that you've been encouraged by this bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of calvary aurora for prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.